The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. And welcome wrestling fans to the Ice Hour. This podcast is aimed at promoting the world of Division Three college wrestling and is named for the late Hall of Fame coach Dave Eisenhower. Here we'll talk about topics and news that's relevant to those who compete for the love of the sport in Division Three. The Ice Hour is sponsored by My House Sports Gear. Check out their line of wrestling gear and apparel at MyHouseSportsGear.com. Subscribe using your favorite podcasting app by going to MattTalkOnline.com slash ice. Now up another episode of the Ice Hour D3 Wrestling Podcast. We're going to head to Dubuque, Iowa, talk to the head coach at Loris. His name is Mr. TJ Miller. TJ, having a good season thus far, unbeaten, one of three Iowa colleges that are both that are all unbeaten and ranked in the top five in the country. Got to be an exciting time for you, and welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Been a fan of the show for quite some time now. Uh, even though it's named after an East Coast guy, we've got a lot, a lot of, a lot of good wrestling there in the Iowa Conference, and, and you grew up wrestling around the Iowa Conference. Of course, for those who are are unaware, and if you're following Division Three wrestling, how can you not be aware? But uh, your dad, Jim Miller, longtime coach at Wartburg, multiple time national champion coach as as a uh, in the individuals and of course in the national duels. But uh, you you went there, wrestled there. What was it first like wrestling under your dad at Wartburg? Um, it was, uh, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, he's one of the greatest coaches, I think in the history of the sport, um, you know, but it also had its challenges too. Um, it is your dad you go to a lot of, a lot of kids go to college and maybe get away from their parents, but, uh, like my academic advisor, sometimes my professor, obviously the, the head wrestling coach. So I was around him quite a bit, but, um, no, I mean it was a it was a great experience and one that I would not want to change for the world. You're a three time All American, and your junior year you won a national championship, and then you you fell just short uh, your senior year losing in the finals. How much did that that finals loss kind of drive you in coaching? I, I think I think it drove me big time. Um, felt like I left one out there. Um, took me a while to probably get over that or even talk about it, but. Uh, yeah, it was a match that clearly I've always kept in the back of my mind for God, even till today, there's probably not a few, I mean, maybe a couple of days go by, but I always, uh, I always will rethink about that match. So yeah, it was definitely a driving force and I think I've used it to my advantage, uh, in coaching. So, um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it uh, definitely added, um, to motivation to get into coaching for sure. When you're in that position, uh, you guys uh, at Wartburg, well, when when it was you guys, you're obviously not you guys anymore, but when you're wrestling at Wartburg and then, of course, the, the rivals up there in Augsburg, when, when those guys are in the finals, you're, you're the enemy. Nobody's really cheering for you except for your crowd. I mean, when a Wartburg guy's out there, Augsburg and everybody else is cheering for you and vice versa with those guys. So uh, what's it like to be an athlete in that type of position, knowing that uh, you're pretty much going to be, uh, you're not being cheered for here except for by your, your own fans in Waverly? Uh, I mean, I think I kind of embraced it. I, I, I always liked going up to Augsburg rather than having, you know, Augsburg come to Waverly. I like being booed. Um, there's no better feeling than when you, you go out there and you kind of silence a crowd. Um, and then that's the thing, you know, you go to nationals, 
every year. There's other there's other programs that do a good job, but for the most part, the biggest fan bases are Warburg, Augsburg, you know, and then there's a few others. I know Wabash has brought a lot of people. I know lacrosse in the past has brought a lot of people, but um, it, it, it's awesome. I mean, I, I that was the way I liked having it, um, you know, and we're we're trying to do a better job with Loris to get a, a bit a larger fan base there. But I mean, you know, it's a good thing when you're winning and there's more people. There's a lot of people booing. They they wanted to see maybe probably the underdog win. I mean, that's just the nature of sports. A lot of people root for the underdog, and uh, you know, I, I, th- I think as an athlete, it was just uh, it was just extra motivation to want to put on a performance. Looking at this year's Loris team, undefeated, ranked fifth in the country, have a win already this year over Augsburg. So, I mean, it, you know, one and two in Division Three have losses. Augsburg's got a loss. Wartburg's got a loss. And then you guys are sitting there unbeaten uh, at number five. As we said, one of three Iowa teams. Grandview ranked number one in, in the NAIA. They haven't lost since, like, Nixon was president. Uh, and then Iowa ranked number four undefeated. So, you know, when you look at where Loris is in the landscape of wrestling in, in the state of Iowa, it's been a rapid ascension. I mean, Loris is a good program, but you know, undefeated fifth ranked in the country in your in your second full year as a head coach, that's got to be uh, quite the accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of joking with some of the guys, and yesterday, you know, last year, you know, it was a, a kind of a, a breakthrough when we beat Central. They were undefeated and ranked tenth, and you know, we were taking the whole team out to Buffalo Wild Wings right after. You know, it was a big deal, and now it's just. You know, I think the expectation and the bar is set um, right now um, at a pretty high level uh, for our program. But, uh, you know, for the most part, it's just taking it one one match at a time and, you know, one day at a time and making each practice important. And, and you know, I'm, I'm trying not to look back or look at the overall picture until we get to the end. Um, but, I mean, that's kind of how it was last year. We, we, we used that format of taking it one at a time, one practice at a time. And we made uh, each match important, and we kind of went on a streak even last year. And we looked back, and we finished sixth in the nation, and we're like, "How the how the heck did that happen?" And um, I guess I guess I'm, we're just trying to repeat doing that this year as well. How much throughout the course of the season do you do you call back to Waverly? You call call up Millboy, your dad, and go, "Hey, what did you do in this situation?" I. I he kind of got on me because I, I interviewed the magazine and I said I called him all the time and then he texted me because he read the article. He says, you never call. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, if I get stuck, I think there's a lot of times I'll try to call him to bounce ideas. Obviously, he's my father. So, I mean, we'll just have a conversation about, you know, my, my two daughters, his grandkids or, you know, my wife, Allison. And a lot of t- sometimes it'll lead into some wrestling talk and then sometimes it won't. It's just kind of hit or miss, depending on the time of year. Um, sometimes he'll just call me and see what I'm doing, you know, and we'll just we'll we'll just talk. And obviously, I'm probably recruiting or I'm doing this or that. And he's kind of lost touch with a lot of the names that are in the state. So, um, you know, sometimes I'm even educating him on who I'm talking to or this or that, you know, just because I think he likes, you know, I think some part of him still has some drive, you know, when it comes to that. Um, and I think there's some things that he probably misses a little bit in coaching, but, um, yeah, definitely. If I'm, if I'm at a loss or I'm stuck on something or a situation, I'll definitely, uh, I never hesitate to give him a call. I guess it's a lot less frequently than I, than I think about it. But, uh, I mean, we just, 
mean, it's just like a normal father-son relationship for the most part. Do you find that you're you're coming in your own as a coach now that you've got a college program to to take on and and one that uh, obviously the name carries the recognition, but you know it's Iowa Conference Wrestling, it's the Big Ten of Division Three. I mean, this is you're you're looking even when you go out of the conference. Oh, Iowa Conference team, there's there's a reputation that you've got to uphold. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've lived it. I've I've, I've grew. I mean, since the age of seven, when my dad started at Warburg, I mean, I've I've known the ins and outs of the Iowa conference and pretty much division three has been my life, you know, all the way through college. And, you know, I kept close tabs on it even when I was um, in new Orleans. And uh, I guess, I, I mean, I don't know if there was any pressure or anything. It's just, uh, you know, I just, I just knew what works. I knew, I knew a lot of things, what works. There was obviously a lot of mistakes that I made probably my first year, but uh, you know, I think, I think you, you learn more probably, from you mistakes that you make and moving forward and making changes and tweaking things. And, um, you know, a lot of it is just kind of learning as you go and, um, just, just being, just being able to, uh, improve and constantly just take it one day. I mean, literally it's pretty simple. I, I never really look too far ahead. I take it one day at a time and I just try to try to make an impact. I got written on my board, make a deposit today. And that's just something that just kind of reminds me, um, that, you know, each day is going to count question is is you don't look that far ahead so when when you get out of college and the opportunity comes up to to take a coaching job at a private high school in new orleans louisiana and you're you're from iowa what what makes you want to take this job how did that even unfold well um a lot of people probably don't know this but paul reedy who's the head or now he's the associate head coach at grandview was on his way down there i mean we had a going away party for him and he was going to take this Holy Cross job. I was planning on just staying up at Warburg and helping out. and um, just waiting for an opportunity. And sure enough, uh, Nick Mitchell called Reed, or something happened where Mitchell called Reedy and got him to take on the job. View. I don't think it was a position that was open yet, but Mitchell somehow created it. And then uh, Ryan Hess, who was the alum that was originally, um, he was an alum of Warburg and Holy Cross. And his son was starting at Holy Cross. Um, called out of the blue, bought me a plane ticket. I went down there for a Minnesota Vikings Saints game. And it was, that was all she wrote. I was young and if I was ever going to do something different and get away, get out of Iowa, you know, the time was now. And um, it was, it was just a, it was an opportunity that I just, I couldn't pass up on. And I'm very grateful that I, I took advantage of it. Yeah, and then for a while there, there was Louisiana kids hitting heading back towards. It wasn't just Wartburg too. There were there were Louisiana kids hitting all over Division three up here, and they weren't just from from your school. So the, it seemed to be a pipeline. And was that something you and some of the other coaches had talked about? It's like, hey, we got some kids. Let's send them to D three. Let's let's give them some opportunities. Or was that just kind of a natural thing that happened? I mean, I was just my dad was at Wartburg. Um, he was still at Wartburg there for a few years. And I mean, just, just by going through tournaments and seeing the, the caliber of athletes that are down there, I was like, man, there's some good kids down here. And literally I was just shocked that nobody, I mean, maybe minus Cumberland was talking to some from brother Martin. I think they still might even have a pipeline there, but other than that, there really wasn't many that were going on. And I just, I couldn't fathom it. I couldn't believe it. And I just started calling my dad like, Hey, like I just, random tournaments i'd see a good kid connor campo hey you guys need to come talk to this kid uh jared roman 
Uh, you need to talk to him, Nick Michael, who I coached at Holy Cross. And, uh, you know, obviously the, having that postseason national tournament in Cedar Falls, only, you know, 12 miles away from Warburg's campus was just going there, bringing athletes there saying, hey, come ride with me. Let's go. Let's go look at uh, let's go look at Warburg and see what you think. And you know, for a while, I'll say it was like almost five for five. That's how it worked. They just they they came, they saw, and they loved it. And uh, that's just kind of how it all started. One thing that people don't understand maybe about Louisiana wrestling is it's not just uh, you know it's not like one powerhouse. When uh, you know Jesuits had a strong program, Brother Martin, Archbishop Rummel. I mean, there's been power programs that have come through and put good wrestlers out on the college mats. They're just usually not in Division One because, uh, you know, the, the like you said, you don't get recruited down there as much. But what were you most impressed with when you first got there to Louisiana? And maybe what was your preconceived notion of, of what you were going to expect and, and what you actually saw from the kids? My preconceived notion? I, I didn't really have too many. I, I didn't know. I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I knew a little bit about Brother Martin just because I've had some teammates like Adam Manguno um, come. Um, I knew a little bit about Holy Cross just because of Ryan Hess, and then obviously that's that's where that's what I was brought down there to do was to coach there. Um, but even like you know two two and a half, two hours away Lafayette and even up north like Airline, I mean they're they're so spread out, and I mean most of the wrestling probably is um, in New Orleans and Baton Rouge, but I just I just couldn't believe the quality of athletes and, you know, some, some of the coaches are football, football guys, and they're just kind of doing it as a side job. And just the, the, the product of these, these athletes and how they are. And I mean, I was just, I was blown away sometimes just because a lot of these, I mean, you go, you're in Iowa, every, every high school, multiple coaches on staff are wrestled in college. And I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these coaches down there have just played football or maybe they wrestled a little bit in high school or had some knowledge of it. I just couldn't believe how good some of these kids were. And uh, I was like, man, these guys get in a college program. This could be, uh, I mean, this kid just has unbelievable high ceiling. So I think that's that was maybe my preconceived pre- pre- notion. The only thing I knew was maybe the TV show Swamp People. And I mean, some of the some of the TV shows that are New Orleans-based, I knew about the Saints. That's about it. I mean, I, I didn't know a whole lot about anything before I went down there, but I left knowing that, man, there are some quality athletes in that state. One thing that I've kind of always looked at when it comes to the weight class debate in the high schools and when they shifted the weight classes is is some of these southern states that are having problems getting people out, and it was the, their bigger athletes of football players. Did did you see a positive impact on the weight class uh, changes in Louisiana, or was it something that was just kind of uh, you were consistent with your numbers throughout? I think we were just pretty much consistent with our numbers. Um, I was just I was lucky that, you know, Holy Cross has always had a rich tradition of wrestling. Um, and not, not so much when I first got there, but I mean, just in previous decades, I mean, that's where wrestling started, um, in the state, uh, by brother Malkior. Um, but as far as, I don't, I don't, I don't think we'd necessarily just got more football players. I think it definitely helped a little bit. Um, just because there was an opportunity of like the 220, the 82, 195. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know what it was like. You'd have to ask someone from maybe the public school systems because down there the Catholic League is big, and that, that's pretty much one of the, the bigger class state championships is the Catholic League down there. But um, I, I didn't really see much of a change um, from football to wrestling just based on the weight class changes. 
And one thing before we started the interview, we were we were discussing a little bit about just backstory. So I got some facts right, and you'd said that, that Katrina hit Holy Cross pretty hard, and you guys were practicing in a tent. Yes. How yeah. do you how do you practice in a tent in in, in the the relative humidity of one thousand in Louisiana? Um, very carefully. Um, well, let's see. Holy Cross. I mean, the I I've I've only really known Holy Cross to be on Paris Avenue. It used to be on forty nine fifty Dauphine, which is in the lower ninth ward. Not a very good um, area, really, for New Orleans. It's right there, kind of the Mississippi River, kind of runs east to west. Um, kind of snakes around New Orleans. It's a very hard place to get to, uh, get get around. It's a, it's a difficult city. There's not a whole lot of, there's not a million bridges or anything that cross over the Mississippi. But um, so when I got there, you know, they were rebuilding the school. Um, they were in the works of rebuilding the new sports complex, which was an un, uh, unbelievable multi-million dollar facility. Um, and when I got there, though, there was just a cement foundation and it was like a large carnival tent. And they had a couple dollar mats that we rolled up every day. That's where they did some of their PE. There was days where it was hot and the mats were impossible to keep clean because of the sand that would just blow into this tent and the dust. And, uh, and not, not to mention when it got to winter, it would get freezing and it was hard as rocks. And you tried as hard as you could to get space heaters in there because it would get cold. Um, there was a couple months where it would, it would get extremely cold and, um, I guess they had a dual meet the year before where it was like 30 some degrees and they managed to, <laughs> they managed to do it. Um, but really, I mean, you had no choice. So it was just, uh, for some of the kids, it was probably all they knew, but, uh, man, when we got in that new facility, it was, it was, uh, it was unbelievable. You almost wanted to cry just cause you couldn't just, you were just, you were so happy that, you know, you didn't have to like clean like sand out of your shoe and out of your ear and it was it was just uh it was a very unique experience but one i want to change for the world i i it's safe to say that the kids on that team had a different level of toughness than yeah. than most high school wrestling teams yes yes i mean there was almost uh i can't remember i want to say because we were we were in division three division three there would be like a 1a for iowa like the lower class because just because of our enrollment numbers were so down and they were trying to get back up from the Katrina, um, still, still from still being affected by Katrina. And, um, yeah, I mean, I remember there was a time in January where we were like threatening the team to go back out in the tent. Cause we thought they were kind of getting soft, you know, with the, with the brand new <laughs> facility, you know, they needed to start working harder in practice and, oh man, I don't, I, th- I think they changed their tune pretty quickly. Cause you know, we had an unbelievable uh, state performance that year. Now the opportunity to come back to Iowa as as a wrestling coach and, and within the Iowa conference, how did how did that how did Randy Stewart approach you, or is that was an opening that you applied? I mean, let's take us through that that scenario. I had no idea it was coming. Um, I could I was happy in New Orleans. Uh, Holy Cross is, I, I still think it's one of the best jobs in America for a high school wrestling coach. I know Landon Williams and Dylan Azinger are down there now. Uh, they're also two Warburg alums that that took over when I when I left there, but, um, yeah, it was just kind of, uh, I, I didn't know it till probably a year later that Randy Stewart actually met with my father to kind of feel him out to think if I would be maybe wanting to, I don't know if my dad wanted me to, 
he probably kind of wanted me, he knew I had a good thing going down there, but a part of him probably wanted to get those granddaughters close. We were um, a, probably a month or two away from having Morrison, um, our, my second daughter. So um, the opportunity came. Um, he Randy gave me the overview of he's in the twilight of his career and he doesn't know how much. I mean, it's not going to be more than probably two years. And uh, I just didn't know when another opportunity like that would come come about. Um, I was obviously being in the Iowa Conference. I knew Loris. I knew Dubuque. Um, it's where I got married, where I won a national title. So there's a lot of good memories um, in that town, and it's really close to my wife, uh, family of Lake Delhi. So um, yeah, I just I and I think I think she I think that would have put a probably strain on our marriage if I turned it down. When the opportunity did come, I think my wife would have been pretty upset. Um, so, I mean, she she definitely wanted to get back closer to her family, um, especially now that the kids were getting older and, and, and the second one was on its way. So, I mean, there there was a lot of things that went into, part, went, went into that part, but it, I think overall, it, I mean, it, it worked out and it was a great decision. Before we get to life back in Iowa, I do want to put a bow on the, the Louisiana uh, experience because I'm a, I'm a bit of a food guy. I like I like Southern cuisine. I'm from Virginia and I, I like the Cajun cooking and and I like good gumbo and, and jambalaya. So I really take take um, very you know I really really like that type of food. What was the most eye opening thing about maybe the culture shock from Iowa to Louisiana when you first got down there? Uh, I mean yeah the food. Um, there's a festival every weekend. Some there's always some festival always. Some cook off always. There's always something going on. I mean, it is. Uh, it was a different experience. Um, it was awesome. The people there are great. Um, I mean, you go to a, like a you go to an LSU game. It's a lot different than Iowa. People are trying to kind of stay warm, and you know, and the way they tailgate is just different. Everyone, it's like literally a cook off, like at every single tailgate spot. Um, the probably the most eye opening thing was the crawfish boils. Um, that that is just a big family thing down there. I mean, you know, like right when it's about the end of wrestling season, there's going to be a crawfish boil about every weekend somewhere. And I did not know how to eat those things to save my life. I, I caught on quick, but I mean, it was uh, it was it was just uh, it, it was awesome. It's just uh, I, I can't explain it. I probably put on 20 pounds of not very good weight um, just being down there because <laughs> it's just. Uh, <laughs> You're eating so much, and uh, it, I feel like it was just all the time. It was every weekend. It was Easter, every, every everything. It just never stopped. And uh, it, family is a big thing down there. And uh, the Hess family, they they treated me and Allison like like family. I mean, we were invited to everything, and uh, it was it was it was an awesome experience. The food down there is definitely something I miss. You know, you, every cuisine you can think of, it's it's uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, the key is you you pinch the tail, suck the head, right? Yeah, well, I guess you don't have to. If you suck the head too hard, you're probably going to cough a lot. You get a lot of that spice and stuff in your throat. Um, I learned that the hard way a couple times, but yeah, it's pretty much <laughs> just to eat the tail. Uh, that's why I bring it up because first time I did that, oh man, I got a it was shot right raw. Oh, oh yeah, the, the hot cayenne and Cajun spice yep. right through my nose. It was just yep. I was. It's amazing that I even ate crawfish. Uh, ever again after that but uh, yep. of course, I'm, I'm still a i'm a gumbo jambalaya guy i remember uh even in, in 2015 when 
U.S. the U.S. held the World Championships. Jim Ravenack had gumbo shipped from from his place in Louisiana for us at the at the head table, and I'm like, oh, oh, this is quality stuff. And it just once yeah. you live down there, or you go down there, it just doesn't quite match up or equal up. Uh, and you go to a Cajun restaurant in the middle of nowhere. No, like I, I'll, I'll probably never be able to go to Red Lobster again. Um, it's just well, you're you live in Iowa. That's probably not a place <laughs> yeah. you should go anyway. I mean, take no, me to a steakhouse. It's just, it's not, yeah, it's not the same. I, I just can't have seafood anymore unless I'm in New Orleans. It's just it's, uh, kind, it's, it's just different. It's just it's so kind of my rule. And, yeah. <laughs> I grew I grew up on the Chesapeake Bay. I don't eat seafood west of Richmond, Virginia. That's just kind of my deal. Now moving to Loris and. You, what did what did you inherit? What was the program like? I mean, Randy's it was the winningest coach in school history there. But uh, there's there's obviously there's there's the Wartburgs that are taking the, the good guys. There's the Grandview that are taking a lot of good guys. And you know, from a competitive aspect, uh, how hard do you think it was going to be to be a Division three wrestling coach in a landscape where there's there's really good programs around you? As we said, as actually, and I want to give your SID some credit there, Jim Napperstack. He's the one who pitched this, and I was like, well, TJ's on my short list, and he said. You know, we got the three undefeated teams, and they're all in the top five. It's like, yes, let's do that this this episode. So I want to give him the credit there. But back to the question is, you, you've got a lot of competition. How quickly did you expect to be, you know, nationally competitive, ranked fifth in the country, finishing sixth at the nationals? Um, I, I, I don't know. I didn't. I never foresaw it being a year or two. Or I, I kind of thought maybe, okay, five years, I could really maybe get get something turned around. It was kind of my had like a five-year goal. Um, I, I don't five years. I wanted to maybe break the top four um, at that five-year mark. Um, and I, I just hearing like coaches like Jeff Swenson talk about his five-year goal um, in previous interviews. Um, I've heard Nick Mitchell talk about it, how, how long it took him. And um, I can't remember how long it took my dad. I feel like my dad turned around immediately, but um I just I, I didn't think that it was it was going to be that quick of a turnaround, and um, I, I knew it was going to be um, extremely challenging um, when we got here. I, I didn't know anything about the team. Um, I didn't. I got here late, so there was really no time to recruit. Um, I think my official start date was August first that that year, so pretty much everyone's committed. So uh, I just tried to try to recruit the best I could. Um, you know, just from my experience. Uh, there was a couple trips I went with my dad when I was coaching at Wartburg for a couple of years, um, just trying to use kind of that experience and get to tournaments and show face and wear Loris stuff and try to get it out, try to get Loris out there. And yeah, Iowa was extremely hard. Like you said, you know, I feel like every kid I talked to was talking to Wartburg or Grandview or, you know, waiting for the D1 offer to come from you and I or Iowa State or Iowa or, you know, and you know, all the other conference schools and NAIAs that are, that are in the state, you know, it was a, it was a huge challenge. And, um, I, I guess I didn't overestimate or underestimate anything. I just, I just, I kind of just worked as hard as I could and hope for the best. And, um, we got, we got some pretty good recruits that for my, my first year. And then the summer Randy, and I think it was at our ISI camp. We have a big camp here at Loris every summer. Um, told me that he was, he was going to move to Georgia and, you know, I was just scrambling and trying to figure out, okay, now I'm going to be a head coach. What do I, now what, now what do I do? And, you know, it was, uh, it was a whirlwind. That was a, that was a crazy year. And, uh, you know, I give a lot of credit to, uh, my, my head assistant it was my first, probably one of my best recruits I got was Trevor Kittleson. 
first person I really, really asked to take on the job. And, uh, you know, he interviewed and they, they, they hired him and he was so gung ho and he hit the ground running. And, um, I don't think we'd be successful as we are without him to tell you the truth. And, um, it was like almost having an extra, just some, just someone to basically lean on that has a lot of high energy and a lot of knowledge of different things. And, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's the, the, the best short version answer I can give you as far as what my expectations kind of go coming in. One question I, th- I think you're probably going to get a lot, maybe not so much for the kids that might live in, in the quad cities, but what the heck is a dewhawk? Yeah, I did get it a lot. Um, I got it from my family. I got it from, I got, I got that question from everyone. And, uh, uh, for a little, for a couple of weeks there, I didn't know. And then finally I, I did some research. I just assumed there was a hawk that lived in Dubuque. Um, so I guess if, if you look back at the history, there was someone from the Detroit press that was, I don't think Laura, I can't remember what Loris's mascot name was at the time. I'm not even sure if there was one, but, uh, someone from the Detroit press was writing an article and the co-cohawks, they had, they already had their, um, they already had their team mascot and he just, I think he was just making fun of the team name Said Loris college Dewhawks beat the co-cohawks or take on the co-cohawks. And I guess they did a the college way back when did some sort of a poll with the student body and the do and they do, they put Dewhawks up for it. And, uh, that, I guess they, I guess they won it, won it over. So, um, I guess that's kind of, uh, the, how, how the history came about it. Someone from the Detroit press originally, uh, named us that it just kind of stuck. Not the explanation I was expecting to hear. I thought it may have been another, uh, you know, I don't know if it was, I wasn't thinking co, although I always think it was strange that co begins with a C and the cohort begins with a K, but we're not here to discuss the the merits (laughs) of other schools, mascots here in the Iowa conference. Now, when we look at, the schedule coming up, eleven and zero right now. You, you, if you if you go through the Iowa Conference duels, which you've got uh, coming up this weekend, you've got Luther, Nebraska, Wesleyan, Co, and Simpson. You go through the schedule, a couple more duels. It, it could end up February 9th. You could be undefeated for the Iowa Conference championship against Wartburg. Uh, when, when is was this at the end of the schedule by the conference doing, or is this you and uh, you and Keller putting your heads together and say, hey, let's let's wrap up the season with us too? Um. I think we were just we were we have an end of the year conference meeting where the coaches kind of vote on coach of the year and freshman of the year and all that and then we kind of uh, button down some of the maybe the missing missing duels that we have in our schedules but um, I think that's when we set it uh, last year it was just kind of we got on a roll and the end of the year it came down for the conference um, championship uh, we were both undefeated in the conference we we didn't we didn't plan on it. Um, last year doing that. And I think, I don't, it was, our, it was our best crowd that we've ever had. Um, and obviously Warburg, you know, they ran, they ran away with it last year. And I think just that, that buildup was kind of fun. I don't know. And I think we both agreed on it and made it on a Friday night. And, um, it's, it's going to be at Warburg this year. And I think that was kind of by design a little bit. Obviously we have a lot of work that we got to do. And we got to take care of before we even get to that point. But um, yeah, I mean, they're 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 by far for the last quarter of a century been the best team. Um, I know we would like to finish and peak and wrestle the best team at the end of the year. Um, and hopefully, you know, if we do 
hopefully it works out that way that, that it is for a conference championship and we're in that conversation again. But, um, I mean, we, like I said, I mean, we got Cornell and we got UD and, uh, we got, you know, those four other conference schools that you mentioned earlier. And, you know, I know Coe and Luther and Simpson, I mean, they're going to be gunning for us in Nebraska Wesleyan and it's not going to be an easy task this weekend. So, um, you know, I'll worry about that when the, when the day comes. When it comes to recruiting, one thing that, that kind of jumped out at me is when you said you're, you're the guy, the Louisiana kids were five for five. You're recruiting now against Wartburg, your alma mater. You know what, what they have to offer a student athlete, uh, especially more the student part of it, because so much of Division three is student first and the opportunity to compete second. But, you know, how do, how do you try to contend with that, knowing that I went there, I know exactly how, how cool the place is. And when you're competing for an athlete, I mean, how do you sell them on Loris when you know, uh, you know, the chief the team that you want to knock off within the conference is, is one that you have a, uh, you know, a lot of positive memories about. I mean, I don't know if there's a perfect answer for that, but, um, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, there, I guess, I guess I don't really worry about, you know, Warburg and I don't really try to steer anyone away from it. You know, um, it's just, you know, it doesn't matter who your coach or who you're recruiting against. You know, you're just trying to sell Loris. You're trying to sell Dubuque. You're trying to sell yourself. Um, you know, Warburg's always going to get the kid. Always going to get kids. Um, you just gotta you gotta figure out ways for you to stand out as a program and you to stand out as a coach and what you're doing here. And um, obviously, we're doing some good things. Um, I think I think we're going to have a pretty good recruiting class this year, just because you know, like you said with Jim Napersack earlier, he does a really good job of getting. Um, a lot of our product out there and the things we do in action shots and uh, graphics and all that. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, just the better that we do, the easier recruiting um, kind of becomes. And it's never easy, but hopefully it just gets a little easier. And you, it's a lot easier to sell, you know, fifth of the nation and undefeated than it was a couple of years ago, two and 13. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't have like a, a template of, how to steer kids away from Warburg. You know, it's a, it's a place that I went to. I mean, what am I going to say? I went there, I'm an alum, you know, I can't, I can't, there's not a whole lot of negativity that can go into that. Um, it's a place. Well, the, I told, the question isn't about negativity. I just want to, because yeah. you've got, you know what, you know, if a kid's picking between the two schools, you know what both have to offer. So it's yeah. not like, don't no, choose just, them. Yeah. You know, it's, no, we just got to sell like the uniqueness of Loris. You know, I, I mean, if you've been to our campus, it's, it's unbelievable. There's not a, there's not a campus in the Iowa conference that's like it on the bluffs of the Mississippi river. I mean, Dubuque is an awesome town. Um, and you know, it's just kind of unique in D three, you know, that, that, I mean, you, you go to, you go to central, there's Pella and you know, there, there are a lot of smaller towns and we're kind of more of a bigger city, um, in Iowa. So I guess that's kind of a selling point. Um, just the, the quality of education that you get here. I mean, we have different things that maybe they have to offer, and there's, there's, you know, you're, you're hoping that maybe, you know, this kid wants to study this and maybe Warburg doesn't have that. And maybe we can sell that a little bit better. I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, and to be honest with you, we, we don't go head to head much with them. Um, I think we we're we're pretty unique on where we're at, where we can recruit a lot of Wisconsin, a lot of Illinois, and we're also in the state of Iowa. So, um, you know, just geographically, I think we have a, a good advantage here. Now, one thing that's also unique is the the distance between the two Division three schools within the city of Dubuque, the University of Dubuque and Loris College. 
For those who are outside of the state of Iowa in the Iowa Conference, what what is that rivalry like in all sports? I mean, Coach McGovern and I do a show with the World Wrestling Resource, so I've I've got a little bit of insight on what things are like at the University of Dubuque. But how do those two schools interact within the city of Dubuque? It just seems like a, a very unique thing in Division Three. Yeah, I always I tell you the truth as that when I was competing, I always wondered the same thing: like, how the heck would that would that would just be so odd to have another college three blocks away? You know, when you know your competitors are like living amongst you and, you know, you go to Walmart and you got to run into each other all the time in the aisle or something, but it's really not like that. I don't, um, the, for all sports though, I mean, it, it is the biggest thing. If you go to a basketball game, the place is packed, you go to football, you know, they play for the key cities, uh, trophy. It's this huge key. Um, the, our wrestling meets were, it was, it was awesome last year. Um, and just the, just as far as wrestling goes, the intensity of it, I feel like you always get their best performance um, when it's a Loris UD, when it's a Loris UD duel. And I just think there's a just, it's just a good rivalry. Um, it's in town. I mean, literally you can see their campus <laughs> from parts of our campus. So, I mean, there's really no like crossover or anything. Like I thought I had a, you know, perceived notion that you know we're going to run into each other all the time like i was going to see john mcgovern every day you know going to the gas station or something and i never see him but um yeah i mean it's, it's just a very unique thing and uh it's it's a definitely a fun fun rivalry you mentioned uh trevor kittleson who's on your staff but you also brought john Arillion up from louisiana who was uh wrestled at Jesuit and was was not was not a holy cross guy initially and how how do you bring another another guy from the bayou up to uh these cold winters in the upper midwest um i mean we were i mean me and me and Jono we just kind of hit it off really really easy um we i mean we were friends he was probably one of my better friends in the coaching world down there and um you know we hung out he'd come over to the house you know we we had a pool he'd come swimming all that I mean, just hanging out, grill outs. Um, we had very uh, similar friends, like Adam Manguno was a Warburg alum, and, you know, he was friends with Adam Manguno. So, I mean, we just, we, we, we were around each other a lot, and he always kind of joked, like, hey, if you ever go on to coaching college again, don't don't forget about me down here. And, you know, a lot of times we'd, uh, you know, he was doing Fargo camp or come, come over to our club, and we'd have kids train together. And, um, you know, I just, I, I've watched him show technique, and, I knew like, wow, this guy's got a wealth of knowledge in the sport and uh, he's really good at what he, at what he does. And, um, you know, he kind of hinted at to me, like after, after my first year of being a head coach, like, Hey, I think I might need a change. And, um, you know, I was like, sure, let's go. And I called him and, uh, he moved up here and that was, that was that. And, uh, he's been doing a phenomenal job. I think he loves it. Uh, I think he loves being around wrestling. Uh, college wrestling, um, just having an opportunity to go watch an Iowa State duel, you know, or see wrestling on TV. Um, it's just, uh, I think, I think he just he loves it. I don't think he likes the cold weather. I think he could do without that, but um, especially the snow. But um, he's doing a great job. Now, as we we wrap up this particular episode, and we're talking about coaching, we've we've talked a lot about. Uh, your high school coaching and then back into college and of course your dad and his his career one thing i'm always curious about is how one develops the idea that they want to coach or, or the desire to coach and we found in a lot of cases 
coaches who had their parents, whether it be uh, men's or women's sports, be a coach as well, have a different mindset on how to go about coaching. Uh, when did you first develop, I guess, the desire to be a coach? And, and was that something that, that, that was learned from your dad or was it learned from the sport more so? Um, I think it was just like trial and error. Like I was just going to, you know, try coaching for this, you know, just try it at Warburg. And I know, I think I, I think I had a desire to maybe be a strength coach. I think that was kind of, I mean, get being around Jed Smith at UNI, he, he taught a class that I took over the summer for Olympic, uh, lifting certification. And that's kind of how I wanted to get into coaching was uh strength and conditioning. And then, um, just hanging around like my dad and Keller and, you know, they're, they're in the offices and kids are just coming in and just, I can see them just solving problems one by one every single day, just whether it was a girlfriend or whether it was a, um, a class or whether they had to motivate some kid. Um, I think experiencing that firsthand from the other side, like, wow, you can really help kids. And then I went to a tournament the first time, and I think it was like at Stevens Point. It was the pointer open or something, and I was coaching and seeing a kid win and I got like so excited for it. Like a kid that I worked with, um, just like that, that adrenaline and that high that you get when you see a kid accomplish something great was just, uh, I, I wanted it again and again and more. And, um, just seeing the work and the, seeing the improvements and seeing kids accomplish their goals was just a very satisfying thing. And, uh, you know, I think that's how, I think that ultimately is what kind of grabbed me and, uh, kept me in coaching. You know, I know you've you've talked to Kyle Klingman over the years, and he's always gonna gonna ask you like, well, you know, what's your favorite Jim Miller story? What's your favorite Jim Miller? I'm gonna change that up. I want to. I got two questions that are not about your dad. They are about okay. a, a Wartburg assistant coach, though. Uh, one you probably know very well. I want to know what is the shade? What is the darkest shade of purple you've ever seen Chris Ortner turn? Uh, that's the first question. And two, what is what is your favorite Ortner story? They may be related. Huh. Um. I got a, there's probably a couple of them, but, um, <laughs> he, one, as far as his, his one, pigment, one, man, he one, goes from like, he goes from like white to orange to blue to purple when he's coaching yeah. in the corner. It's great. He's never really, I mean, he hasn't done that with me a, a whole lot. He probably did, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he did. I just didn't notice it at the time. I didn't make coach Ordner's job very easy sometimes, <laughs> but, um, um, no, uh, what a great guy. Uh, there was, I remember one time we were, well, it was one, when one time my junior year before the national finals, I can just remember how, I mean, he was like cracking jokes uh, and usually I can tell when Ortner's nervous, but my dad was a wreck and he, I thought he was going to like throw up in the trash can. He, and he wasn't faking it very well. And, uh, you know, Ortner was just, he was there just, and he was like cracking jokes with me about it. And it kind of calmed my nerves. Um, big time. <laughs> we're like kind of making fun of my dad. Like, why is he so nervous? Like, calm down. Like, it's just wrestling. And, um, you know, there's another time where I didn't realize it, but he, he acted like he was so mad sometimes when we'd wrestle. Like, I could tell, like, when he was going easy, and I could tell when he was going really hard, like, when he was coming full, full blown at me. And I, I could tell, like, there was times where he would fake act like I, like I beat him up. Like he let me like just tear him apart sometimes. And 
he would like kick a trash can or he would like, you know, be yelling to himself as the guys are running in a circle. And, um, I, I, it took me a while to realize that he was faking it, but, uh, it just, it just shows you how good of a coach he is, like that he's willing to like take a beat down to kind of improve, um, an athlete's confidence. You know, and it was always like right around those times, right before a big matches, he would do that. Like all of a sudden he beat the crap out of me on Monday, but then all of a sudden, like I'm doing whatever I need to do, whatever I want to him on, on Thursday. And we have a, you know, a big tournament that weekend. And it's like, you know, that was one thing that I took from him. Like, you know, he's a very selfless person and, uh, you know, he was just, he was just out to look out for me. And, uh, you know, it's definitely, uh, there's a lot of lessons that I've learned from him for sure. One thing I've, we've neglected to discuss is this year's squad. I mean, you're 11 and 0. We haven't talked about a single wrestler on the team. And then I want to, I want to circle back a little bit because you got two guys that are nationally ranked, uh, guy Patron and Jimmy Davis, Davis, number one in the country in division three. Uh, you know, there's, there's several guys I'm sure you want to want to talk about that's made this year, uh, really moving at 11 and 0, but what's, what's the mood been like in the room and how have, uh, you know, those two specifically, since they're the ones ranked in division three right now, uh, really kind of, uh, moved the needle in terms of, uh, Loris's and, and your team's expectations. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the mood in the room is awesome. Um, you know, we, we struggled when we came back from Christmas break cause we we're battling some of the flu season stuff, but, um, you know, now that we're getting everyone back to, back to full health. Um, it's been awesome. Um, kids, I think, are just as motivated as they've ever been. Um, Jimmy is an awesome leader for the team. He leads by example. There's not a guy that works harder than he does. And uh, I just think, you know, you can just tell by his results. I think he, he's actually leading the nation in tech falls in Division Three as well. So he, he scores a lot of bonus points. And, you know, that that's huge in some of those really tight duels uh, when you could score more bonus points than the other team. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we got multiple guys clicking on all cylinders. Uh, Quinn, Quinn Gillum, our heavyweight, he's a Louisiana product guy, Patron, Louisiana product at 197. Um, I believe maybe they both share one loss, maybe a piece. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, right now, I mean, we're, <laughs> we got all cylinders running and, you know, I'm, I'm, as a coach, I'm just hoping not to screw it up, uh, for the end. I'm hoping to just keep everybody healthy and, um, just keeping just keeping uh, the same format of one day at a time, and just trying to make every practice as important as we can, and make um, each competition just as important as the next one. So, um, yeah, it's been an unbelievable season uh, for some of those guys, and um, hopefully, you know, we'll be talking about a lot of uh, some great successes at the end of the year for each each one of those guys. T.J. Miller, the head coach at Loris College, follow him on social media at Duhawk. That's D-U. H-A-W-K Wrestling, and, of course, at Dewhawks.com. So uh, best of luck down the season. Iowa Conference duels this weekend again with four teams, Luther, Nebraska, Wesleyan, Co., and Simpson, and, of course, that big date looming February 9th. If all things go according to plan, you'd be undefeated going into uh, your old stomping grounds of Waverly with the Iowa Conference dual meet regular season title on the line. TJ, it's been very informative and uh, educational, and uh, best of luck to you guys the rest of the season. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.